official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. And we're spending 20 weeks in the book of Acts, and it's only taken us six weeks to get through the first two chapters, which means we're just rolling through it. Um, This morning, we're going to pick up the pace a little bit as we head into chapter three. And my sermon title this morning from Acts chapter three is when you ask God for alms, but he gives you legs. Because what we find in Acts chapter three is we find this man who's born disabled, and I have a son who's disabled. And so whenever I read scripture and I read about someone who's disabled, it automatically catches my attention. In Acts 3, we find a man who's born disabled, and he's begging for alms at the temple gate, the gate called beautiful. But instead of getting what he was asking for, he gets much more. Uh, He's hoping for just enough pocket change to kind of survive the day and to get through the day to sustain him. But what we're going to read in Acts chapter 3 is that God exceeds his expectations and he gives him legs. He heals his legs. And I wonder this morning, maybe how many of us came into worship this morning and we were hoping for some alms where we were kind of hoping for just enough of something to sustain us, just enough of something to get us through. Uh, I'll confess, I've done that a number of Sunday mornings this winter. Um, I'll, I'll say this, that I, I'm not a big skier. I've skied a couple times in my life, and we're going to plan on going to Jay Peak once, I guess, next month. If, if the weather holds up, we got these free passes. We're, my family's really excited to use, but I'm not the best skier. I've only been a few times. So if I can fall less than three times, it'll be a real successful venture. But for, if you're like me, all my non-skiing friends, how many non-skiers were you just like me? You've gone a couple times and, okay. So if you're like me, I'm guessing that some of you here get the winter blues like I do. (laughs) Because it's cold, right? It gets dark early. Man, it is such a drag to wake up and go to work when it's dark and get home, and it's dark, right? We go into hibernation mode a little bit. I like to eat a lot of comfort food in the winter, which makes me less motivated to kind of exercise and be productive. Um, I get fatigued a little bit. We're fighting off viruses through the winter. Sometimes I, I get the winter blues. And on Sunday mornings, I usually come in here. I try to get here by 7 a.m. so I can have the room to myself before our volunteers get here, and I'd just like to pray. And there's been several Sunday mornings this winter where I come in and I'm, I, I feel like I'm, I've been asking for alms. Like, God, just give me enough energy today to like do what I need to do and to get through this week that's coming up. Have you guys ever done that before? Where you come into a worship gathering and you're like, oh man, I just need enough of something to get me through. But I was really challenged this week as I spent time with this passage in Acts chapter 3. Because I realized that perhaps I've been kind of shortchanging God's ability to exceed my expectations. And so I did a lot of preaching to myself this week while I was preparing this sermon. And now I'm going to do my best to preach it to you. How many of you would like to see God do more than what you're asking for? 
There's this verse in Ephesians chapter three, verse 20. Here's what it says. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Man, what a great passage of scripture. How many of you guys want God to do immeasurably more than what you ask or imagine for? Well, I think this is going to be a fun passage to look through this morning. Uh, Let me set it up really quick before we actually jump into Acts chapter 3. If you remember, at the end of Acts chapter 2, we're told this by Luke, who's the author of Acts. We're told that many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. And so when we get to Acts chapter 3, it starts out with an account of one of these signs and wonders, one of these miracles. And it, and it It really is, as Peter in Acts chapter 2, he's preaching and he's telling this crowd that what the Old Testament's prophesied about, what the Old Testament prophets foretold is happening right now. A new age has come. And and in fact, the, the prophet Isaiah, he said this about the new age, that when the new age comes, the lame will leap like a deer. And then we go into Acts 3, and what's the first miracle we read about after Pentecost? It's a lame person who's who's now leaping around in the temple. And so let's jump into Acts 3. Let's start in verse 1. It says, One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, He asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And so here we have Peter and John, these early church fathers, these very important disciples. They're they're on their way. They're walking into the temple to pray, and they come across the man who was born disabled. And it says that he's, he's lame, he's crippled. And Luke provides us with some more information about this this man. He says that every day he was carried and dropped off at the temple gate to beg. Now, obviously, this is not an occupation he chose. His circumstances have forced this on him. And I'm assuming that the reason he gets dropped off at the gate in the temple is because people going to worship God are more likely to demonstrate compassion. At least that's what he's thinking. It's a very busy area. It's a very busy place. There's people who are worshiping God that are going to this place. Certainly they'll have compassion because they worship God. And so he's carried there and he's dropped off there every day. But there's this interesting language in these verses that Luke uses to show us that something unique happened when Peter and John walked by him. It says this, that Peter looked straight at him. And the implication here with these words is that most people who passed by him didn't stop to look. Perhaps maybe they they put their heads down to walk by because they felt uncomfortable, or maybe they took a quick glance, but they, they just kind of sped by him. But Luke makes it a point to show us how Peter and John interacted with this man differently that they took time to stop and to look at him, to see him. You know, several months ago, I was getting my caffeine fix in the afternoon at Starbucks, 
And, and uh, I was there at a time when it's kind of busy because at around 1.30, 2 o'clock, everybody needs to pick me up, all the caffeine junkies like me. And so there was quite a line that wrapped around, and, and I, I got in line, and I said, oh, I'm, I'm probably going to be here for a while, but I've got a lot of work to do. So I took my phone out, and I just, you know, texted so-and-so, and I was checking my emails and seeing what I could get done while I was waiting in line. Uh, check the weather even, and I'm standing there. And I went through the whole line. I don't know how long it took. I was just busy, you know, doing stuff. And, and I found myself at the end of the bar where they give you the drinks. And, and, and I finished my emails, and I, and I put my phone away, and I looked up, and I realized that I didn't know which three of the baristas took my order. And, and, I, and I felt like such a jerk. I felt embarrassed because I realized that I didn't even take the time to look up from my phone to see the human being, the person that was taking my order. And essentially what I communicated to them is, my phone, my productivity is more important than you, so just give me my coffee. And I, and as I, was, I had to wait for my, my order, and as I was waiting there, um, I got really convicted that I didn't take the time to look and to see... And I, and I thought to myself, how would I feel if, if every day, all day long, I served people and nobody ever stopped to see me or to look at me or to notice me? See, Luke doesn't want us to miss this. He wants his readers to recognize how Peter and John took the time to look at this man to add dignity to him, to communicate value to him. Luke wants us to see from these verses, how in tune they were with the Holy Spirit in their surroundings. Here they were. Remember, they're early church fathers. They're very important people. And they're on their way to a very important prayer meeting. It's the 3 p.m. prayer time. They have things to do, places to go, people to see, prayers to pray. And yet, they gave themselves permission to be interrupted, to be attentive to the Holy Spirit, to be attentive to others, and it totally transformed this man's life. See, if, if you're wondering what it's like to be led by the Spirit, I'll tell you this. You'll have more interruptions in your life. If you want to find out what it is to be led by the Spirit, there will be interruptions. Because there'll be times when he'll interrupt what you're doing, your agenda, your, your schedule, your whatnot. And also... If you're being led by the Holy Spirit, you're going to notice people more. You're going to be compelled to take the time to actually see someone, to actually look at someone. Let me ask you this question. How many of you guys have ever experienced what I call forced evangelism? Maybe I'll explain what I mean by forced evangelism. What I mean by forced evangelism is when someone tries to share the gospel without first taking the time to see the person that they're sharing it with. They haven't taken the time to actually look at the person. And it feels a little bit obtuse and awkward, doesn't it? That's because it's not supposed to function that way. Uh, evangelism is, is never meant to be this cold, calculated sales pitch where you just kind of just go into your spiel. See, evangelism happens when, when we listen in on a conversation between the Holy Spirit and someone else. And then we only step into that conversation after we're invited by the person or the Holy Spirit. 
Let me say that one more time. Evangelism happens when we listen in on a conversation that the Holy Spirit's having with someone, and we only step into that conversation after we've been invited by the person or the Holy Spirit. See, here's the thing you'll notice when you read the Gospels. Jesus always took time to see the crowds and to see the people before he ministered to them. He always took that because he, he had genuine interest in these people. And Peter and John now are implementing that same approach. Everybody else is walking by this guy who's, who's begging. They see him there every day, it says. And yet Peter and John take the approach of Jesus. They stop, and the first thing they do is they look straight at him. They see him. They notice him. Verse 4, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Now, I'm guessing that he'd been begging for quite a while. Uh, it says he was, he was born lame in, in, in his legs and in his feet. And so he probably knew that when people did stop to look at him, he would receive something. It wasn't normal or typical. And so he's expecting alms from Peter and John. It's what he needs to survive. It's, it's what... He needs to get through the day, but there's a major problem. Peter and John don't have any cash on them, which is interesting because remember in Acts chapter 2, it said people, there was no need. People were, were selling their possessions and making sure that everyone who had need had, had funds, and yet Peter and John don't have any cash on them. And verse 6 says this, then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. I read a story recently about Thomas Aquinas. And Thomas Aquinas one day was visiting Pope Innocent II. And the Pope had just received a big donation. And so when Thomas came to visit, the Pope was counting this large donation to the church. And the Pope said to Thomas, you see, Thomas, the church can no longer say silver and gold have I none. To which Thomas Aquinas replied, true, Holy Father, but neither can she say now, rise and walk. And the implication, of course, is being is sometimes, you know, we, we depend upon our prosperity uh, that can lead us to seek out other solutions uh, apart from God. And we can become so accustomed to buying our way out of discomfort that we fail to ask God to intervene on our behalf powerful story in its own right. Let's go back to this text here. Peter says to, to this man, I don't have any money, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And then it says this. Then it says that Peter reached out his right hand and pulled him up. He lifted him up. See, Luke wants us to notice this, that, that Peter and John didn't, didn't just stop and look at this man to add dignity to him, to, to, to communicate value to him, but he actually physically got engaged with lifting this man up. He doesn't stand there and say, well, 
hey, you know, God helps those who help themselves. Which, by the way, a lot of people think that that's in the Bible somewhere. That, that phrase is nowhere to be found in Scripture. <laughs> God helps those who helps themse- help themselves. It's not in Scripture. Uh, we think it is because it's quoted around and thrown around, but it's not. No, he doesn't say that to the man. He, he, he lifts this man to his feet. And the Scripture says it's only then that his feet and ankles are made strong. Look at verse 7. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. It's only when Peter reached down and lifted him up. The miracle wasn't realized until then. See, one of the ways the Holy Spirit works in and through us is when we lend a hand to someone in need, when we serve, when we lift others up. God can do miraculous things through the simple act of helping someone out. You know, when I was in the West Coast, I attended this big kind of mega church. There's 3,000 plus people at it. And the pastor wasn't flashy at all. He's kind of like this older gentleman with white hair. And, and he wasn't really a flashy speaker. But man, I would just like love when he preached. And I remember this one Sunday. It's a service I'll never forget. He had a box of groceries up on the platform in, in, in front of him. And he shared this story about how when he was a young minister, he would pray. He didn't have a lot of church members. It was kind of a smaller church. And, and he would pray for, for people in his church. And that when, when he would think about somebody in his church, he would say, oh, that's God putting them on my heart I need, and talking to me about them. I need to pray for them. And so one morning he's praying, and, and this family comes to his mind and to his heart. And it's a poor kind of family in his congregation, a husband and wife who have seven snotty-nosed little kids. And, and and he knows that they're poor, he doesn't know much about them, but he, you know, he's praying and they pop into his mind. He says, well, that that's, must be God talking to me. Uh, I'm going to bring them a box of groceries after work. And so he puts together a box of groceries and he didn't really want to drop it off. He shared for a couple of reasons. One, they kind of lived outside of town. And two, he didn't want to stay. He didn't want to stay very long because he kind of admitted, yeah, they live in this, this shed and it's kind of smelly and it's small and there's the mom and the dad and the seven snotty-nosed kids. And, and, and I guess like some of the, explain that some of the floors were just kind of ripped up and you could see dirt and, you know, the window panes kind of taped because they were cracked. And he just didn't want to go over there, but he, he, he really felt God told him to do this. And so he just went over and knocked on the door and dropped off the box of groceries and, you know, said a little prayer with them and, and then just left. He didn't think anything of it. But many years later, there was a woman who came up to him after he preached on a Sunday morning. And she came up to him and she said, you know, when I was a little girl, one night we sat down at our table and I was part of a big family and we didn't have any food. And my mom and dad prayed that God would somehow miraculously provide food for us. And then she said to him, and you showed up at our door. And she said to him, that was the first time in my life I was one of those little girls. <laughs> that was the first time in my life that I knew that God was real. And then the pastor did something that really shook me. Because again, it's a 3,000-member congregation, you know, really big church. And, and he said, I, I, that person, that one of those little seven snotty-nosed kids are here today, and I'm going to have them stand up. And they stood up with all their, their kids and their spouses. And their, it was just like a probably like how many people we have in here now. <laughs> it's just a huge group of people. And then he, he pointed 
he pointed to the box of groceries and said, this is what a box of groceries can do when the Holy Spirit's involved. Man, I'll never forget that. See, sometimes we think that, that God moves in this, it's got to move in this really like, profound way, that, but, but God can use a box of groceries. He, he pointed out that that little girl is now, uh, or was then, um, a state senator for Oregon. And it, it, I just sat there amazing. Man, I, sometimes I look at my life and I just want everything to be spectacular and really you know, sensational and spiritual. And sometimes God's just saying, just bend down and, and, and take somebody's hand and lift them up and watch what I can do, right? Just look, take the time to look. Take the time to see. That's how the Holy Spirit moves, right? And just extend a hand. Well, now we find this disabled man. He's walking, he's jumping, he's praising God. He's leaping around in the temple. Everyone recognizes him as the, the, the cripple who's, who's begged every day by the gate. And they're filled with wonder and amazement. And the next scene that happens is in verse 11. And it happens at a place uh, on the east wall of the temple called Solomon's Porch. And I have a picture to show you. Just um, hopefully this picture will kind of help you kind of envision kind of how this all unfolded. But they're at Solomon's porch now. This crowd has gathered to Solomon's porch. And in John chapter 10, we find out that this is one of the places that Jesus taught at Solomon's porch. Acts chapter 5, it mentions that this location was a regular meeting spot for early Christians, for early Christ followers. So verse 11 tells us this. When the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished. And they came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? And so a crowd gathers. They see this guy. He's the, he's the, the lame guy who's by the gate every day. Now he's leaping around and he's praising God and he's running and, and a crowd gathers and Peter launches into another sermon, which is kind of a theme in the book of Acts. And he inter interprets for them what's happening. He starts by saying, look, we're not magicians. This isn't anything that we've done in our own power. We did this through the power of God. And, and what's interesting here is, is Peter isn't satisfied just referring to God here. He also connects this event with what God has done through Jesus. Verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him up from the dead. And we are witnesses of this. So Paul or Peter, rather, stands up and he presents a, a heavy paradox. He says, you disowned the just one so he could be treated unjustly. You killed the very author of life. And not only did you reject Jesus, but you, you, you requested that a murderer be released in his place. Man, that, that's intense. He's not pulling any punches here. Like his sermons are pretty poo. <laughs> Here's what you did. But he's doing this because he wants them to know what's at stake. In verse 16, he says this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know 
was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. He says this in verse 16. He's, he's in this sermon, right? And he kind of, kind of explains to them kind of that Jesus is connected to this event. And he said it was by faith in the name of Jesus that did this. See, here's the thing that the scripture teaches us, that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus and in Jesus' name, we're doing three things. Number one, we're admitting the bankruptcy of our own name. When we, when, we, when we trust and we have faith in Jesus' name, we're admitting the bankruptcy in our own name. We're saying, man, I'm inadequate. I can't do what needs to be done here. Two, we're submitting to his will and authority. We're praying in accordance with his nature. And then three, we're representing him in his interests. So when we put faith in, in Jesus, when we put faith in Jesus' name, uh, we pray in Jesus' name, we're, we're admitting the bankruptcy of our own name, recognizing our, our inability. Uh, we're submitting to his will and authority, praying in accordance with his nature, and we're representing him in his interests. See, one of the reasons at Church of the Well, you'll hear us close a prayer sometimes, and we'll, we'll, we'll close with these words, in Jesus' name we pray. Have you ever heard us say that before? And you might be wondering, why do they close their prayers with that sometimes? Not every time, but most of the time. Well, because there's power in his name. Because when we pray in the name of Jesus, we're admitting the bankruptcy of our own name. We're representing him in his interest. We're submitting to his will and authority. And here's the amazing thing we discover in verse 16 of Acts chapter 3. That the same power Jesus healed with while he was on earth is still available except now it's being exercised through his followers, right? Now tell me that doesn't have implications for you and I, right? Because Peter's saying, no, it's in Jesus' name that this happened. It wasn't, it wasn't through any magic or of, of ourselves. It was through faith that comes through him. Well, Peter goes on to preach this incredible sermon from verse 17 to the end of the chapter. I don't have time to, to dig into this sermon, but I want to encourage you to spend some time with it this week because it's, it's really jam-packed. Like I said, this is week seven or week six for us now. We got a lot of chapters to cover, but you got to check out this sermon. It's a great sermon. Read the rest of Acts chapter three this week. But I want to close this morning just by drawing out three truths from this first 16 verses here that I would like us to ponder. And the first one is this. Don't Settle asking for alms when God wants to give you legs. Don't limit God, right? No matter, no matter what gate you find yourself at, because I, I believe this, and, and I'm speaking to, my, to myself too here. I think we all are beggars. We all kind of find ourselves at a gate, and we might have different gates, but we all find ourselves there just trying to get enough to get by. And what I find so encouraging about this passage is that God exceeds those expectations. And I want to encourage you, let him do that. Let him exceed your expectations this morning. He can meet you there. Two, if you want to be led by the Holy Spirit, allow more space in your life for interruptions. A lot of times we don't create enough margin in our lives 
We have so much schedule and busyness and things to do that, that we, we don't allow ourselves permission to be interrupted by the Holy Spirit and by others, right? We just kind of put our head down and plow through because we've got stuff to do. We've got things to, people to see and, and things to accomplish. But if you want to be led by the Holy Spirit, you've got to make room for interruptions, you have to take time to look at people and see them, right? And you have to, you have to, you have to be willing and, and, and more than just willing, passionate about lifting people up, extending your hand. I know it's inconvenient. I love the story that Karen Newman shared several weeks ago. She was talking about how her roof was all torn up and she called this roofer to come over. And she's not here this morning, so I'll tell the story, and she can correct me if I got it wrong later. <laughs> this roofer came over to her house, and, and Karen was really stressed out. It was a busy day. She's busy like you and I are busy. Lots of things to do, lots, lots of stuff we got to accomplish. And, and this roofer came over, and, and he, he shared with her, I, I, I can't get up on the roof because I'm not well. I have to get somebody to come over here and kind of look at the roof and and so Karen just asked, well, what, what, what's wrong? And he kind of shared that he's, he is, is not well. And he kind of broke down in, in her kitchen. And Karen's as busy as you and I, right? Where most of us would probably be like, okay, guy, just stop breaking down in my kitchen and just go get your guy who's going to check on my roof. But instead, she allowed her life to be interrupted. She's being attentive to the Holy Spirit and to others. And she goes, is it okay if I pray for you? And he says to her, actually, I'm on a waiting list. Like, I, I'm hiring this guy to pray for me, which is the strangest thing I've ever heard, by the way. But, but it, he, was, he, was, he actually had contacted some prayer person, and he was going to pay them, pray for him, to kind of, like, do some healing stuff or whatever. And Karen goes, well, can I pray for you right now? And he, and he said, right there in the kitchen, he, he ministers, she ministers to him. See, that's what it looks like to be led by the Holy Spirit. You're attentive to what he's doing. You're attentive to other people around. You're taking time to look and to see. You're extending your right hand, right? Third thing I want to leave you with is don't short sell the power that's in the name of Jesus. Don't short sell the power that's in the name of Jesus. Peter and John said, hey, we didn't do this. This, this, this is a result of the power that's in the name of Jesus. So I want to encourage all of us, all my friends here this morning, to kind of embrace those three things, right? To not settle for alms when God wants to give us legs, to be led by the Holy Spirit, make room for interruptions, look and see people as we're passing by, as we're talking with folks, lend a hand, lift someone up. That's how the Holy Spirit moves so many times. And lastly, just don't sort, short sell the power that's in the name of Jesus. That when we pray in the name of Jesus, when we sing Jesus' name, there's power there. Amen? So that, why don't we do that? We're going to have the band come up. And, and what was the name of the song called Tremble? And it talks about the name of Jesus, right? We're going to sing that one again. Can you stand up together with me and we'll pray. We'll close with prayer. Lord, I just want to take a moment on behalf of everyone who's here this morning. And Lord, I want to ask that, that, that you would forgive me and forgive us of settling for alms when you want to give us something more. 
that is settling for just enough to get by when you want to do abundantly and measurably more than what we ask or think Scripture says. God, just forgive me for shortchanging you and your power. Forgive us, Lord. But I also ask for, for my friends here that if, if they've been just struggling and they've been by the gate for quite a while, God, that you would stop this morning and you would look at them. You would use us as their friends to look at them, to see them, to pray with them. God, and that you would show up in the same powerful way that you showed up in this passage of Acts chapter 3. You would, the same way that you transformed this man's life, that you would transform our lives. Lord, we want to be led by the Holy Spirit. So God, help us to create more margin in our life. Help us to allow more room for interruptions. God, forgive us for our idolatry of productivity where we stand in line at Starbucks and just ignore the others around us in your spirit to just do more work. God, may you make us more aware of your Holy Spirit, more aware of others. God, that we would take the time to look and to see them, that we would, we would be compelled by the Holy Spirit to get involved, to get physically engaged and involved in lifting others up. Lord, we know we need to be lifted up all the time, and yet so many times we just walk past others who are struggling and others who are in need, and you you are ready and you're just willing to move. God, help us not, not to ignore those times. And then lastly, God, help us never shortchange the power that's in your son's name, Jesus. God, as we sing this song and we just sing about the name of Jesus. God, we pray that it would break shackles off in our lives that are keeping us, that are holding us back, that are holding us down. God, that, that we believe right now, we just declare, we believe in the power of the name of Jesus. And Lord, that, that it's, it's, it's his authority. Nothing that we can do on our own. So Lord, would you do that for us? You're, God, you're, you're amazing at ministering to us even when we're, we're not so ready for it. And God, I pray that you would interrupt us, interrupt every one of us, God, this morning and this week, so we can see you minister in us and through us to others. And we'll give you all the praise and the glory for it. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's worship. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community. 